welcome to the ACF podcast. We are studying First Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to dive into verse 14. Jonah, could you read that for us, if you have that I hand? certainly can. I'm actually going to read verses 13 to 16, since Paul Perfect. is long-winded. Over a few. All right. I give you charge in the sight of God, who raises all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Thank you. So just to recap, what is that good confession? Can we sum that up from last week's study? Yeah, I mean, so Paul Paul specifically makes reference to um, Jesus's confession before Pilate, right? So, and that's in Matthew chapter twenty-seven, um, John chapter. Help me out, Jake. Is it chapter twenty or nineteen in John? Um, what was it that he's confessing? Well, and so that's the, you know, I'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> that uh, Jesus is king, like because he because he's like you say that I'm a king. Well, you said so, and you know, is it is it is it that it's his confession as the being the son of God? Is it the confession that he is completing his mission and in, in the salvation of people? I mean, like it's also a kind of a confession of his character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not entirely clear if Paul has a particular thing that he's talking about in mind. Right. So, but so John 18 verse 37 reads, Pilate therefore said to him, are you then a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king to this end. I was born. And for this cause, I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth. hears my voice. Good. So I think in that respect, you know, Jesus is, is describing his mission, yeah. right? And so I think Paul is reminding Timothy to keep his own mission in mind, right? Which as a pastor in, Eph- in Ephesus that, you know, his mission is largely the same, which is to just tell the truth. Yeah, I'm, or or at least point back to back to Christ, right, and 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 live at, after His example, right? Yeah. And I, I think I think that's um, indicating um, <laughs> the 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 confession before Pontius Pilate. In other words, um, Jesus knows where he's going, right? He knows that death is is on the doorstep and the confession is just signing the death warrant. I mean, it's just it's just signing off on his life, you know. And uh, uh, like he he's so confident and so sure of his mission that he's willing to go through um, it no matter the cost. I th- and I think that's kind of what Paul's getting at is like he's bringing us into this kind of court scene where people are 
crying out for Jesus's blood, even absurdly, right? Just uh, they're in a frenzy. And uh, yeah. And, and Jesus still goes through with it. He doesn't waver. Um, yeah. And we and we and we discussed this last week, right? But that kind of ties back into the, the Greek word for witnessing has been adopted into English as to be martyred. Right. Right. You know, the Greek word to witness is right. I, I, I don't know exactly what the infinitive is, but you know, mart martyria or something like that. Yeah. Um <clears throat> so, you know, in that respect, to, to witness something is not just to say it, but to, you know, prove it out in your actions as well. Um, and that leads us into, into the next verses, right? Right. And in case, in case you've forgotten, I'm going to reread verse 14. <laughs> um, that, that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's calling on Timothy to keep. And so the word this, according to my Bible, doesn't exist in the Greek. So it's been inserted. But so he's telling Timothy that you keep commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of um, our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not entirely clear, you know, what exactly the commandment is that Paul is referring to in this particular verse um oh yeah okay so he says keep this commandment but you're right it's not even in there it just says keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our lord Jesus. the commandment right so i mean there, there, there's a couple of different ways to interpret this right and it could be that paul is referring back to verse 12 where he says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are called, and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. So if we're reading that as referring back to the last, you know, immediate commandment that Paul gave him, then that would be the logical one. Um, would he call it a commandment, though? Well, and so this is, you know, I would, I would read commandment is basically an order that's given. A lot of times we, we say commandment and we think that's, it's only applied to the 10 commandments and that's not the case at all. Like the commandments were, there's a ton of them, right? There's like 600, what, I don't know, whatever command. Six, 637 or something like that. Yeah. Not to be precise, right? Well, yeah, exactly. and it, and, it, and of course, it depends upon how you tabulate them too. Right. To just still have commands that are given to people, so yeah, right. Um, so that's one possibility, right? And so I'm not claiming to know exactly what's being referred to here. Um, but in the beginning of the letter, and we've been talking about chiastic structure for the last couple of weeks. Um, and we've noticed how Paul repeats himself, you know, he says stuff in the beginning of the letter and then he reiterates it at the end of the letter, which, you know, is also good, you know, writing style in general. Um, but in chapter one of first Timothy verse five, he says, now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. 
So. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So in, in that respect, you know, and I admittedly haven't done an exhaustive word search on the use of the word commandment in <laughs> in First Timothy, but I think you know there's other examples, right? And we've talked about this where you know Paul uses that phrases like "I charge ye thee," you know, in in the sense of issuing commandments. But I think that first verse five of first of chapter one, and then verse fourteen of chapter six are the only two times that he actually uses that particular word in this letter. So, again, I'm 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 not I'm not making an ex you know, a definitive declaration of which one in particular that well, Paul is no, referring to. But it, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily matter which one exactly, because there's a lot of overlap there. Well, the only one, if, if it means the commandment, uh, and there's only one, the command, you know, the hierarchy of, of laws of the Bible. There's the, the one, the two, the ten, the many. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. So, so you have the 10 commandments and then you have the two commandments, which are love God, love your neighbor. But then there's the one commandment overall, which is the commandment. It, it's just love. Like, Oh, I see what you're saying. This thing. Right. Okay. So it's, it's like the, the umbrella or the, or the overarching command throughout all of scripture. And if you don't understand that you're, you're going to misuse a lot of the other commandments, right? Because you're not, you're not understanding that, that, that it's the, you know, it's the top or the base, whatever you want to say, but the, the fundamental principle under all of them um, is love. It, it, yeah. And it, it, I, I think it could either mean that, or it could mean that, yeah, the uh, going back to verse 12, Timothy's, Timothy's vow that he took when he, when his, the hands were placed on him. So I could see it as just one or the other. Right. Uh, and, and, and again, we might be splitting hairs when there's not really a hair to be split here, right? In that, you know, they're, they're, they're largely effectively the same, right? I mean, so verse five is, you know, talking about love, you know, love from a, a pure heart, good conscience and true faith. But verse 12 is fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life whereunto you are called. So in that respect, you know, faith is mentioned in both of them. And then, you know, to lay hold on eternal life, you know, the, I suppose that the commands that are given in verse 12 are more immediately internal, right? In, in what Paul is telling Timothy to be striving for, right? You know, faith, faith is something that it is largely, I mean, it's outward focused, but it's still more of an internal belief rather than an action. That's not to say that faith doesn't manifest itself in actions. Right. Um, it has to. It has to. Right. Yeah. Otherwise it's dead. Right. Whereas the, you know, the actions are more elaborated on in chapter one, verse five, right? Where love out of a pure heart really is talking about the actions that result as, you know, that are a consequence of that faith that you have. Yeah. 
All right. I mean, so now that we've talked about what the commandment um, may be, let's go get into how to keep it. So Paul says, keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, depending upon how you read that, could be a little problematic. I mean, in in, in one sense, when you read it, right, it's like, of course, Paul's going to say, yeah, keep the commandment. Don't break it. Yeah. Which it, It's almost like be perfect. You know, that's right. almost how it feels. And then like, that's how it feels when you, when you read it like that without spot, without blemish. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't mess up. Yeah. Which I mean, it, in some respects, I, so, and this is something that I've been, struggling with and I haven't necessarily come to peace with my conclusion on the subject. You know, there's, there's this idea of what, 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 what it means to be perfect, right. Within a Christian context. Yeah. And so, you know, that with, within modern English, we tend to interpret perfect as this like static state, this ultimate achievement which i mean is and and there's some flexibility within that right i mean depending upon how i mean we 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 can use it more loosely within modern parlance right like if somebody makes a cake for you you'd say oh it's perfect right and then somebody can bring another cake to you and you say well that one's perfect too so it's not necessary <laughs> well and again it depends upon the usage of it right um <laughs> yeah well, so in, in a sense, right? Like, so I, I like perfection in this because because Jesus talks about this too, right? He does. He talks, about, he talks about be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But if you read the context of that, he's actually talking about loving other people, and he's talking about actually love, and so which would actually match up with this, and 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 the 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 wording he used here by by spotless or blemishless it's a sacrificial term right 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 yeah it referring back to the requirements i mean initially the requirements that were given for any sacrifice any sacrificial animal um right right it was going to be offered to god you know like like paul talks about this in other places in in romans romans 12 where he's like offer your your living your bodies as living sacrifices you know holy and blameless to god so I, I think this is actually a good thing because this is this is talking about like what love is is actually a self-sacrificial system for other people. You're 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 giving of yourself to other people in this sense. And he's like, do this perfectly. Like stop thinking about yourself, like push that to the side. But there be no selfish spot or self-centeredness uh, within that. If we put it in context, of at least what Jesus is talking about. Um, or we could put it in the context, maybe about more what he's talking about here. And maybe the possibility of him talking about is, look, uh, Jesus kind of emptied himself. Like he put himself to the side when he was before Pontius Pilate and he put himself to the side for the sake of humanity. And he's like, you, you go do that too. You know? So is this the agape love? Yeah. So complete unconditional love. Yeah. Charity, love. 
Yeah. The love of God and for man. Yeah, I mean, you have, yeah. The, the lot of love, which is like the brotherly love, right? That's like, that's like, that's almost like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll die for you. But the, the agape love is like, I'll die for you, but not only that, I'll, I'll, I'll straight up live for you. That's right. Yeah, well, and I, I, I don't want to denigrate it too much, but with this idea of familial or brotherly love, there's, there's this mutuality aspect to it too, mm -hmm. right? In that, well, you know, you're family and we do stuff for family, but there's this implicit expectation of reciprocation. Yeah. Whereas with agape, I don't, there's, it's complete giving of oneself, you know, without regard to how the other person, whether or not the other person reciprocates. Right. Uh, that's what Jesus did on the cross in the hopes that we might accept his love, but some people won't. Yep. Some people just reject it and they just, they just, um, either they don't believe it or they don't, they don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I see him going, but you know, maybe I'm, I'm too off on that. Uh, I don't know. To me, I like thinking of, of this type of perfection as you know, uh, I'm, I'm a, I like basketball a lot. And um, so there's never been anyone to ever shoot free throws perfectly for an entire season, right? It's never happened. So this is my idea. For, uh, this, maybe this is a bad idea, but I, I, this is how I, it helps me. When you step up to the line, you're never think you're thinking about your team. You're thinking about winning the game, right? You never intentionally, you're never going to intentionally miss the free throw. You never say unless, okay, there is some circumstances at the very end of the game. It, it depends upon who you bet on before the game. <laughs> okay, X that, X that example up, but you never step to that line thinking, oh, it's okay if I don't try my, my best here. No, no, that's never right. And, and from your heart, even if you mess up a little bit, if you're – you're giving your best and the best of your ability. And I think God blesses that. I really do. And I think he does something really amazing with that when we do that. But I don't, uh, you know, like the best free throw shooter ever was not like 97% through the, through the season. You're going to miss at some point, right? You're going to mess up. That doesn't mean that you're necessarily, you have a spot or a blemish. Like, do you, do you need to repent of this? Sure. Yeah, of course. But the whole thing is like, where is your heart? Are you giving your, your best sacrifice to Christ? Are you giving it your all? You know, and are you constantly thinking about the big picture, winning the game, right? Doing, doing the task that's set before you. Right. Yeah. I mean, is it, it's first Samuel. I don't remember if it's chapter six or 17 or 17 or 16 verse seven. Um, I, I think it's 16 verse seven um, where God calls Samuel to Jesse's house. Right. And Samuel's looking at all of Jesse's sons and he's like, Oh, this one, this, you know, this, this is a tall, good looking kid right here. Right. Is this the one Lord? And he says, Nope, Nope, Nope. Um, he says um, for the Lord sees not as man sees for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Yeah. Right. And, I, you know, all too often we get caught up in this idea of assessing other people, right? Like it's, are, are you doing good works or are you not? Yeah. But that's not our prerogative. And 
you know, when, when we, <laughs> it, it, it's a, it's a scary idea to, to try and usurp God's role of determining who makes it into heaven and who doesn't because we don't make very good choices on our own. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So in that respect, I, you know, certainly perf- our idea of perfection is something to be to something to strive for. Right. And I think that God focuses more on what you're striving for um, rather than the end results. And that's not to say that the result, I mean, that's not certainly not to say that the results aren't important in a sense in terms of their quality. Right. Because I mean, there's, there's good works and there's bad works and there's no bones made about that in the Bible, but it's more about the effort that you invest in the direction that you're going rather than how many points you end up making. Right. Yeah. We, we always use terms like, Oh, that's going to get you that extra star in your crown. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm also seeing the scene of revelation where all the saints take off their crowns and cast them at the feet of Jesus because they, they see him as absolutely worthless. So <laughs> at the, at the sight of, uh, of him. So, you know, I, yeah, I think that sometimes we, we, we try to maybe outdo ourselves or outdo each other. And that's just kind of the, the, you're, you're missing the point, right? The whole point is, is service to the Lord. Yeah. Right. Is, is your ultimate goal self-exaltation or is it to tell other people the good news that you've heard that, you know, do you want to see other people in heaven for their sake or for yours? Yeah. I mean, I guess both. I mean, not, not to lift yourself up and say, I saved them, but, but I want other people to be there because like, I there's mean, people, there's people that we like. Yeah. And people, people that you love, right. Yep. And people we, we don't. Right. <laughs> but, but, but the whole point of this place is that, I mean, think, do you ever think about, have we talked about this before? Like what, what it's like for for Stephen to see Paul the whole the first time in heaven. I I, I mean that's that, it's a common example given, right? Yeah. But I don't know if we've talked about it here. I uh, think we talked about it a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just like you, Jesus, like you know who that is, right? Like you know what? I I don't know if he'll be like that at all, you know. But like I I that is the the one the one interaction i i want to see happen when we get there like i i have to see i want to see like if it's just like paul falling at the feet of of uh of of stephen and crying or whatever it is but even people that we don't like or we hate like it's all it's going to be worth it once we're there if yep. we love them and they get there it's going to be worth it it's good it, stuff is going to work itself out you know Right. Um, and we may have gotten a little bit off track here, but I, I, I wanted to bring up, I, I, I found in my preparing for this particular verse, First um, Thessalonians 3 verse, verses 12 and 13. Um, and those read, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and towards all men, even as we do one towards you, to the end or in order that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 
So in a sense, this feels like a reiteration. I don't know if that, if we know whether Thessalonians or, um, or first Timothy was written first, but if, if this passage has a lot of parallel structure to verse 14 in first Timothy chapter six, right. Um, but the phrasing is a little bit different here, right. And the, the focus is not on what on a commandment that you're supposed to obey, but he, um, Paul says, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one towards another in order that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. So in this, in this passage in first Thessalonians, the focus is on what God does within you rather than, well, obey this commandment um, with, without spot and blameless, but that same word is used right in verse 13 um, to the end that God may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. So I think if if we read First Timothy, if we read First Timothy six fourteen in the light of this particular passage, it can. I mean, when I first read verse fourteen, there was this idea of like, oh, there's this focus on perfection, mm-hmm. but the focus is on you being perfect, whereas in First Thess three, it's not about your perfection; it's about the the perfection that Christ imparts to you. Yeah. It, is it, is it imparts or imputes? I think it's imputes. Well, well and that's, that's, I, I think that's the fundamental difference is like, look, we can, we can try all we want, but, but loving somebody who's unlovable, it just doesn't work for us. Right. Like it doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's kind of impossible. And, but, you know, uh, I know that's something where I really, have have put to prayer is like hey i'm really struggling with this individual or with this person or i want to love people more in general and and every single time he has granted that prayer I, it's just a feeling in my own life where i'm just like hey i want to care i want to care more because i found myself like i'm not i'm not caring as much as i should and i know that you know and i know that's kind of where that's where everything breaks down because if you your desire of your heart if it's set upon other people and it's loving other people the actions are going to follow that, you know, and, and, and that's kind of the, the other way around where some people think, oh, the actions, my heart will eventually follow. And I, I just, maybe, maybe in some situations, but that's not been the case for me. Like my heart has to be there and, and God's got to change our, our hearts, you know. I th- it, it works up to a certain point, right? You know, they say fake it until you make it, yeah. which I think to a certain extent, that is true, right? Like if you you have to put the energy in right i mean there's still got to be the desire to change right right otherwise you have to have that open heart yeah and you have like you have to put the action into it yeah yeah but i mean i think the the problem comes when if, if you keep putting the energy and the effort out there and your heart is never into it it just never comes it's gonna, it, it's gonna fizzle out. You're not gonna last. You can't do that stuff forever. Well, it's gonna become formalistic, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where you know first century Judaism was. Yeah. You know they they were given the the sacrificial rites and the rules that you know 
of how they were supposed to act towards other people, but they effectively perverted them because they, they missed the point behind them. So would you say the work that you have to put in is the communication with God and the requesting of the Holy Spirit? So I, I don't know that that's sufficient. And what, 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 I, what I say when that isn't sufficient is you can't, I mean, from, from the outside observer, we say, oh, like submit your, you know, we might, we, we use this terminology of like submitting yourself to God, which is true. But at the same time, we are still performing actions ourselves it's not like we're automata that are wandering around and god's got control of us and is up there in heaven with a joystick right so yes communi communication with god is is it's it's a necessary um requirement but necessary but not sufficient i think is the term that's used um in that we need to we need to we need to pray we need to be studying god's word but we also need to take steps towards performing those works even when we don't necessarily feel that desire to perform them yeah because he's left the example for us right so we just have to follow that example yeah and i guess my point is sometime at some point those two things actually have to meet our desire and what we're doing like it can't just you can you can you can go without feeling but you can't go forever without feeling like without feeling the love in your heart without feeling this desire but but sometimes like with um with with some people do you ever do you ever uh, know that there's something you're supposed to do and you really don't want to go do it but you go do it and then you're when you're done you're like man i'm so glad i did that right like this is this is the idea of of of, of um of kind of a, a discipline it takes discipline to do things that you don't want to do but but afterwards you know you did the right thing and i think it's really rewarding um in itself which is the root word of disciple, by the way, to be disciplined, to do the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of got some applications to music, right, Beck? You know, even, I, you know pra practicing an instrument kind of comes to mind here. Yes. <laughs> How so, Beck? I don't understand. Well, you know, you go to the practice room and you're like, well, there's other classes I need to study for too, but and my lessons like, I don't know, two or three days away. Should I, should I practice a little bit now and then do some of the other assignments after it while I have the opportunity to use the practice room or um anyways i i feel a lot better making use of what i have at the time even though there's assignments that are pressing that might be more pressing than the upcoming lesson but i know that the preparation i do now is going to make my lesson uh much more beneficial for me in the long run and uh, my applied professor appreciates it too. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking back more to when you're first starting an instrument, right? In that, you know, you, you know, you can practice even if you don't want to, and you'll get, you, you, you can become proficient at the instrument. 
but you need to have that desire to keep on going in order to really achieve mastery of it. Right. To develop the musical nuance. and Yeah. Yeah. And so I think in a lot of respects, our Christian walk is kind of similar, right? And that we, we can start off, um, we can start off with this, you know, begrudging, you know, begrudging compliance maybe, but that's, it's not sufficient to, you know, advance to quote unquote perfection. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking about witnesses and that is actually, you know, like a martyrdom and you, you can't walk that walk without that kind of conviction. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, ultimately the, the, the belief and the desire has to be there in order to, to, to make it past the highest level of the video game, if you will. Right. I mean, and again, it's, it's an imperfect analogy, but I'm just bringing up, I'm, you know, it gets harder as you go. It doesn't necessarily get easier. The challenges can get bigger. Peter, Peter talks about this. He says, um, you, you, you can become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, um, like I, I think, um, and, and this is what, this is actually kind of what Jesus calls out of the Pharisees when he calls them children of the devil, because he's like, you're, you're children. Basically he was, he's the father of lies. Like he can't help himself, but do it. It's his nature. Right. And he's actually calling us to the opposite thing. He's like, you need to love. It needs to be your natural reaction. In other words, you need to not even be thinking about it anymore. Like if you want to take music for, for, for example, um, yeah, I, I used this with Flory a couple of weeks ago, but she can just, she can just play. She, it's, it's like, she's one with the instrument. Well, how it's cause she's done it so much. It's that she's done it over and over and over again until she's just basically. It's a detachment of her. It's a what? It's an attachment. Yeah. Yeah. It's like another, yeah. Extension of her fingers almost or something, you know, it's, it's just like, she already, she knows you know, and uh, I think that's really amazing. I think that's what God is actually calling us to do. It should be our very nature to do loving things. And I heard something the other day. It's, they said, if you have to think about being compassionate towards someone, you're. You've got a ways to go. Yeah, you've got a long ways to go. Yeah, Because you shouldn't have to think. You should just do. Except for maybe in the show, The Fugitive, where he has to decide. <laughs> <laughs> the hand sink comes in at the end. <laughs> he has to evaluate uh, how many people he'll endanger when they discover who he really is versus how he, many people he can save. Indeed, yeah. If any of us are in that situation, we should probably think twice. Uh, yes. It's basically a restoration of where we were at the Garden of Eden, right? back to the image of God's character. Yeah. He doesn't think about that stuff. He just helps when, when he sees our heart turns towards him. I don't, I don't think there's a, yeah. I don't want to say God doesn't think that's bad, but I, I, I think that the, the image of the prodigal, the, the father and the prodigal son comes into my mind when I think of, of God's forgiveness, his heart towards us where the father basically is wearing a dress and lifts it up and runs shamefully right down, down this, 
down this dirt road for his son who's betrayed him. And he doesn't think about himself. No. Or what the neighbors think or what anybody else they like no he he's like my son was was he's lost and now he's here you know yeah. and, and 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 he's he, well he's saying that you know this the story is and it links up with this is the story is that the, it was the older job older brother's job to go out and get the younger brother in this story by the way um yeah so, so by the way, this is this is the story of of Jacob and Esau. J Jesus is just rewriting it. Um, the story of the prodigal son. So, anyway, but it was it was the job of the older brother to actually go out and get get the younger brother, but he didn't do it. He just stayed home. And anyway, so the, Jesus is pointing at the Pharisees, saying, "It's your job to go get these people that are." out there suffering think of mary magdalene or prostitute she was like the the one that never lost faith in jesus pretty much the only one right and she's a prostitute like that's crazy that's she crazy was. she was crazy no she she was a prostitute oh oh yeah and she was crazy too crazy in love <laughs> yeah i i i know we got started a little bit late um here and we're past eight now but i just wanted to close with you know so the end part of verse 14 i we're not going to even touch verse 15 here tonight i don't think but but paul was an adventist right um, <laughs> yeah of course he was of course right you know he, he says until the appearing of our lord jesus christ he's re he's <laughs> he's referring to the second coming there right right and i i think all too often when we when somebody says oh i'm an adventist we get this picture of it's like oh well you like haystacks and you're vegan and you know you quote ellen white more than the bible and all of this kind of stuff right but it's all of this this cultural attachment we lose the meaning behind the word itself right which is just somebody that's looking forward to the second coming right yeah you have the answer for your joke jonah Oh, we're getting there. We're not done with the study yet, though. Or are we? Well, we might be. I, I don't know if anybody wanted to make any comments on my observation. It was great. Oh, thank you. It's true. It, oh. but, but I think we also need to be cautious of the image that we present to other people, right? Because that image of quote-unquote Adventism is largely an image of our own making, right? And I'm not referring to individuals, but I'm referring to a, as a church. As a, we, 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 we've lost sight. I mean, so if we think about the name, right? Seventh-day Adventist, the, the seventh day is a, is a modifier to the Adventist. The Adventist is what we are fundamentally. And oftentimes- yeah. Which we much let, of community is actually. Right, right, it is. But, but community is an Adventist, yeah. What did you say? I'm sorry, the audio got a little muted. He said much of Christianity is Adventist too. I agree. Right. But for us, I mean, for us as a church, that, and I hesitate to say that that should be the focus, um, but our, our focus should be on why, why we're excited about the second coming, perhaps. 
Yeah. You know, and, and too, and, and there's, there's too much other stuff that can get mixed in there. Right. You know, um, at the extreme conservative end, you even get some people that are effectively fear mongering about the second coming um, and, and what's going to be entailed there. So I'm, and I'm not saying that we should be downplaying those particular messages, but we, we need to keep in mind how that, that we're presenting a message of love and not fear and yeah, a message yeah. of the law of liberty and not the law of restrictions. I mean, part of the point is to avoid this ultimately death, right? Like, but that's not, that, that's not the highlight. The highlight is actually the fact that there's this place where actual restoration is going to happen, not just to us, but to creation and all the wrongs will be undone. And the, I mean, we ran and we out. get and we get to meet Jesus face to face. Yeah, yeah. Most important. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we might be done. On that note, keep your eyes and look yeah. for him. Right. <laughs> All right. Um. I'll, I can close with prayer. Father, I want to thank you that we've been able to come together here tonight and study your word again and that we can dig deep. You know, we <laughs> depth, but not necessarily breath. But I that that being said, we, we we've covered a lot of ground tonight at the same time that we've dug deep into this verse. And there, there's a lot there's a lot here. Um, I'm glad that we have all these other books that we can go back and reference against to reach a deeper meaning of the word here and that we can overcome what might seem like a, a problematic initial reading of the verse and realize that behind it all, it's all about love and it's all about you. And I would pray that as we go out and tell other people about you, that we would present a present the true image of you, one that's attractive and one that uh, an image of somebody that cares about us more deeply than we can even imagine. And I would pray that this is the image that we would share with other people. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. And now All right. What? And now Where we have it? a joke. Well, I'm trying. What? What? What was the joke that I gave last week? Oh, what was the joke last week? I was it. Who, where was the first tennis match in the Bible? Yes. Okay. Anybody figure it out? Yes. No. <laughs> when Joseph. I, I, that. That. It was in Egypt. When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Oh. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Here's the one for uh, next week. Who was the first drug addict in the Bible? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Does Jake already know the answer? Well, if you already know the answer, why don't you say it now and we can get a new joke going. <laughs> No, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Well, it must not have been as good as you were thinking.
Well, I just thought it was uh, thematically good, keeping with the. You know, yeah. Was it Noah? He ended up high on a mountain. <laughs> nice. Okay, so the second drug addict in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're changing the rules now. You know, I didn't think that there were so many of them, but. <laughs> All right. Well, oh. stay, stay, stay tuned, stay for, tuned. <laughs> for next week. <laughs>